when he was here upon the earth, was a perfect blend of anointing and authority. A perfect blend of anointing and authority. Anointing being the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit manifested through a person on the earth. Authority being the right or the empowerment to act on the will of God the Father. Jesus never missed it in either of these areas. He was always anointed when he needed to be, and he understood his place of authority to act. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We read for the last couple of weeks, particularly from Luke chapter 4, where Jesus stood up and quoted from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me, then gave the list of things he was anointed for. We mentioned from time to time Matthew 9.35, which is a very succinct description of Jesus' ministry on the earth. It says, And he went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. This is very important for us because Jesus also said in John 14 and 12 that those who believe in him would do the works that he did and even greater works. Now we know that it must be primarily quantity of greater works, not necessarily quality, but quantity because Jesus was limited by time and space. We, the body of Christ as a whole, are not. You and I individually are, but the body of Christ is all over the world. And so we're called to move in this kind of a capacity so that we can walk in the things of God and enjoy the presence of the Lord. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17, I want to read this, this short verse to you tonight as we are getting the foundation laid for what we want to say tonight. But 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, And the world passeth away. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong chapter. Give me a minute. I'll find it. John 4, 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So you put all these verses together, Acts 10, 38, you look at Luke 4, Matthew 9, 35, John 14, 12, 1 John 4, and 17. We realize that the reason it's so important for us to study the ministry of Jesus is not just to get the historical perspective of it, but that we use it as a template for the work of the church, the ministry of the church today, which means that we are to walk in our authority and we are to walk in the anointing. Everything we do, everywhere we go, everybody we interact with, all the people we deal with, all the decisions we make, anything involving life of any consequence, we need to be doing it with the anointing and in our place of authority. And when we do that, that's when the blessings flow. That's when you are blessed so much that like uh, Isaac was so blessed, he was envied by the Philistines. You know, the Philistines in the Bible, they were the implacable enemies of Israel. Over and over again, they would rise to some place of power and they would fight against Israel and 
Then in the days of the judges, you know, people like Samson would come and they would do damage to the enemies. And the Philistines were a problem. And uh, so all the way back in Isaac's day, the son of Abraham, when he sowed in the land of famine and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, that's a miracle harvest. And when that happened, the Philistines envied him because they were all living in famine. And that's a picture of us in this world today. We're living in a world where people are afraid, people are lacking, people are uncertain about the future. I never in my lifetime remember a time of more fear, apprehension, more division, more strife, more mess than what we are seeing today in our world. And so as we walk in covenant blessing with God, and we have every right to do so, as we rely upon the power and presence of the Holy Ghost, the anointing manifesting through us, as we walk in our place of authority over the devil and over every adversary, not only will we be blessed, but also you've got to be ready for the fact that there will be some people that will wonder, how in the world are you doing that? They'll envy you, and they won't like what you're blessed with. But it's a testimony to the world that if you serve God, it's always better. Amen. So if you want the blessing of God, if you want the power of God, if you want the covenant to work in your life, you've got to walk in a place of authority and anointing. That just like Jesus did, that's what we've got to do. Now Satan, on the other hand, doesn't have or respond to love. He has no plans to bless you at all. He's not kind. He's not merciful at all. As we point out many times from John chapter 10 and verse 10, he only comes to steal from you, to kill, and to destroy And he has no uh, love in him, no mercy in him, no grace in him. As a matter of fact, Satan only responds to force, to a greater authority and a greater power. And we are endowed with both, the anointing and authority. We have, you have, what it takes to put the devil in his place, which of course is under your feet. The place for the devil is not up in your face, not talking in your ear, not in standing in front of you, blocking your way. The place for the devil is under your feet. Jesus put him there 2,000 years ago, and there's no reason for him to ever get away from that place unless you just let him, and we're not going to. Amen. In Mark chapter 16... When Jesus uh, gave the Great Commission, as we call it, and you know there are different accounts of that, but in Mark chapter 16, if you'll look there with me, I want you to notice something uh, particular about this particular passage that I think is important for what we're trying to say tonight. We're talking about power and authority, anointing and authority. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, beginning in verse 15, "'Go ye into all the world,' And preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. (coughs) Excuse me. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Now there's a listing of things, supernatural things, that will follow believers. Notice the first one. In my name shall they cast out devils. That's the first thing on the list. He goes on then to say they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And that's not to play with them or try to prove you have faith. But that is simply the fact that if you come into contact with a snake, uh, you have authority over it. Amen? And if they drink any deadly thing, 
If you've been to the third world, you're glad this verse is here. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So this is a marvelous list of supernatural ministries that will accompany the preaching of the gospel into all the world. But what I want to point out and what I want to reiterate to you is what I said a while ago. The first thing on the list is the casting out of demons. This must be pretty important. And when you read the four Gospels, Jesus had a number of encounters with the devil. Now, you know, John tells us that if everything Jesus did were to be written down, that he supposed the world wouldn't contain the books. So we understand that the things that are written are obviously important, and those are key things, specific things, that God wants us to learn. He wants us to study. He wants us to glean the facets of revelation that are available from these various accounts. And so there are a number of accounts where Jesus dealt with demons. And the reason I bring this up is because I want you to understand that you cannot do the Great Commission without dealing with demons. You cannot have a Holy Ghost move of God without dealing with demons. Now, I know some people have gone to seed about this. There are people who seem to see demons behind every door and uh, in everything that people do or say. And, of course, that's extreme, and that's uh, not where we want to go. That's not where we're going. But at the same time, there is no merit and there's no benefit in acting like there aren't demons. To try to act like that, the, that we're in a modern world and people are so educated and we have so many modern conveniences and so many breakthroughs with science and medicine and psychology and all the rest that, that demons are just a thing of the past. They're just a relic from, from ancient times and all these things are uh, about just supernatural, I mean uh, superstitious uh, ideas of people from an ancient world, if that is your thinking, you are sadly mistaken. I think some people have the idea that demons or devils uh, are, uh, are always, you know, running around kind of like some of you old enough to remember the red devil lie can. Now, the devil is not that character on the red devil I can. He doesn't have a tail with a point on the end of it. He's not standing there with a pitchfork and have horns. That's not the devil. As a matter of fact, the devil, in his original form before the fall, was one of the most beautiful creatures you would ever see. He was a creature of great beauty. He was a creature of great skill. He was a musician from within. He could actually, his, his being, his, his spiritual body could actually make music. He covered God with his praises. You can read about him in Isaiah 28 and Ezekiel chapter 24, I think it is. Maybe somebody can help me with it. Um, anyway, you can read about him and find out before the fall, he was a pretty important character. He was an angelic creature. And since the fall... And since his fall, which preceded Adam's fall even, he's been cursed ever since. His kingdom of darkness is a kingdom of fear, bondage. It's a kingdom of darkness. It's a kingdom of control and manipulation. Every evil thing you can think of, every unclean, ungodly thing you can think of, that's what the devil is about today. It seems that his greatest joy, if he, 
I, I don't guess he really has joy. Joy's a fruit of the Spirit. But his greatest happiness, if that is such a thing for the devil, is in trying to mar and ruin the creation of God. Because really, you are just a, a being that he would use to try to get to God. His hatred is toward you, but his hatred is primarily toward God. And since you're the apple of God's eye and he, he loves you so much that he would give his only begotten son to die for you and me, that means you are kind of a target to the devil. And I don't say that to put fear into you because as we said earlier, he's under your feet. Jesus has defeated him. It's all, it's all, it's all said and done as far as that's concerned. But you do have to exercise your authority. You do have to occupy the kingdom of God in your life for it to, for it to be manifested. Because the devil is trying in every way he can to destroy you, steal from you, and to actually kill you. That's what he's about. And so what we need to understand is that we don't have to go looking for demons. We don't have to be afraid of demons. We don't have to go squirrely about demons. But when we encounter one... We need to know how to deal with them. Not all demons are screaming and squalling. Not all demons are shouting and growling. Not all demons manifest the same way. There are a number of ways they might manifest. And I want to give you just a practical word. You can think about it, pray about it, take it home. If you don't quite know if you agree or not, don't throw it away. Just put it on the shelf and meditate about it. But here's a rule of thumb that I have used and it's really helped me. And that is, anything that manifests in any person I know or that I might be dealing with, in any situation involving anything in my life, anything that, number one, becomes unexplainable in why it's so messed up, anything that becomes unanswerable because of its magnitude of hurt, problems, anything that is unreasonable when it comes to anger and emotion, anything that is not good and not God and not biblical, but it's just the opposite of all of that, I just by default recognize that's from the devil. I might not see a spirit. There is a gift of the spirit called discerning or seeing spirits. I might not see a spirit. I might not receive a word of knowledge from the Holy Ghost. And that's also another gift of the spirit that would reveal that this is a spirit and maybe even reveal what kind of spirit it is. You don't necessarily have to know all of that in order to know that's the devil. It's got his fingerprints all over it. Amen? That's just a good rule of thumb. And anything that is not from God has to be from the satanic kingdom. So that's why in my life I have had greater success believing God and resisting the devil when I just realize anything that steals kills or destroys, has to be from the devil. Which means that all sickness is ultimately from the devil. That doesn't mean that all sickness has a direct tie to an evil spirit oppressing the body, but in general, that's where it came from. 
And so I realized that the devil's behind any virus, the devil's behind all kinds of physical manifestations of disease and malfunction and deformity and pain and all the rest. And you would do well to always treat the devil, I mean, I'm sorry, always treat any sickness or any disease just like you would treat the temptation to commit a sin. And don't give the devil any place. Let me give you another practical piece of advice. The quicker you jump on the stuff is the quicker you're going to have victory. Don't let the devil camp out. Don't let him, you know, don't sit there and go silent wondering what is this. Don't go to the Google to try to figure out what are these symptoms of. That's not the way to have victory in the spiritual realm. Just know it's from the devil. Know his intention is to kill you with it, even if it's a hangnail. He would kill you with that if he could. Just know that and resist it and do it quickly. If you have to, go somewhere where you can raise your voice and let the devil know that you know what he's up to and that it ain't going to work. In Jesus' name, Satan, you take your hands off my body. It will not stand. I am the healed of God. I'm the blessed of God. I'm in covenant with God. I have a contract with God. And I refuse anything you bring to my door. I will not have it. In Jesus' name, I am authorized and I am empowered. And the power of God is at work in me right now, driving out every symptom of sickness, disease, and distress, and the life and the the nature and the power and the love and the grace of God is at work in me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I will live long, I will live strong, and I will live well upon the earth. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Amen, amen, amen. Let's praise the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah. So we don't have a sideshow. You know, if you run into the devil, you know, there, there are people in the past, they always wanted the devil to speak. Tell us your name, how many they are. Who cares? Jesus said the devil is a liar and the father of it. And if he told you his name was Ebenezer, could you really believe it? If he told you his name was Sylvester, could you really believe it? No. I don't care what his name is. I know the name above every name, the name of Jesus. But having said that, I also know that there are situations that will not change until you let the devil know that you recognize this is him and you deal with that spirit. Let's go to Luke chapter 13 and I'll show you just one instance of this in scripture tonight. We don't have time to look at more. But in Luke chapter 13, there is an interesting passage uh, here beginning in verse 10 in the ministry of Jesus. It says, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity, a spirit of infirmity, 18 years. Now, my brother and sister, that's a long time to be infirmed. That's a long time to deal with a constant sickness. 
It says, and, speaking of the woman, was bowed together, or bent over, we might say, and could in no wise lift up herself. She could not raise up. So she was bent over and couldn't get up. If she were to look at you, she'd have to look around. You know, you can imagine the condition of this woman. And she was like this for 18 years. You can just imagine how many times she felt like giving up. How many times that she probably, the thought crossed her mind, would you ever be better? Can you ever be better? Well, she came to church, and so evidently, she was a regular churchgoer. Now, in this sense, the devil goes to church every week. You ever thought about that? She had a spirit of infirmity. That spirit went with her every Sabbath day to church. I can hear those gears turning. No, I'm kidding. I can't hear them, but you know what I mean. So evidently, she was a regular churchgoer. And uh, we have no indication that her character or piety was in question. In other words, we have no indication that she was, um, you know, some kind of, a, a, of an evil person. No indication she was a prostitute, she was, you know, a drug pusher, you know, uh, an alcoholic. No, no indication about any of that. Here she is going to church week after week, going to synagogue week after week after week. And uh, she's got this problem. She comes into the service with it. She leaves the service with it. She comes into the service with it. She leaves the service with it. And I could go on and do that 52 times, and that would just be one year's worth. And then multiply that by 18, and we'd be here a long time. I just want you to realize how monotonous sickness and disease can be. And some of you know about that. You've been there. And the devil, of course, wants to scream at you that it'll never get better. It'll never be any different. And he wants to get you sidetracked some way or another to get you offended at God as to make you think God is the problem. So if God really loved you and if God really paid such a great price for your healing, why am I not healed? Or to get offended at the messenger. You know, I've seen this happen over the years, being a preacher. You know, people get offended because you preach truth to them. But I learned years ago from a man named Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole. He's with the Lord now, a wonderful preacher of the, of the gospel. And he was an elderly man when I ever first saw him. And I was in a meeting where he was in Fort Worth, Texas years ago. And he made a statement to a room full of ministers. He said, the kingdom of God does not run on sentiment, but on truth. I've never forgotten that. The kingdom of God does not run on sentiment. In other words, it doesn't run on feelings. It doesn't run on emotions. It runs on the truth of the Word of God. If my emotions are hurting, then I just need more truth so I can get my emotions lined out. And I'm going to say this, and it's a hard saying, but I'm going to say it anyway because it is true. Sometimes people just need to get mad. They just need to get mad at the right person. I'm not your problem. 
Jesus isn't your problem. These brothers and sisters in Christ seated around you here tonight that love you, they're not your problem. The problem is that one that Jesus defeated 2,000 years ago that's trying to talk you into letting him have free reign in your life that wants you to allow him to do what he's doing. Or if he's already doing something, he wants you to, to just kind of sit down with a pity party and say, I don't know why this is happening to me. Boo, hoo, hoo, hoo. Please feel sorry for me. I'm telling you, that's not a way to get healed. You've got to get up and you've got to show the devil who's the boss. Amen? You can't let him think he's winning. And if you go silent and if you go into worry mode and you go into fear mode, the devil will think he's winning. And when he thinks he's winning, he keeps pouring it on. He'll run the score up until it's 120 to nothing on you if he can. But we can stop him. So this woman was evidently a regular churchgoer, we'd say, synagogue-goer. It wasn't her character or piety that was a problem. So how did the devil get in? That's a big question. It's an important question. How does the devil get in? Now, let me say this. I am not talking about, and Jesus did not imply that this woman was possessed with the devil. Now, you can read in the Gospels where that he met the madman, we call him, of Gadara, who was demon-possessed. This woman wasn't. So that tells me that not all manifestations of evil spirits produce or are to the point of possession. And let me, let me tell you something about possession. Just think about the word. Possession equals ownership. I possess this Bible. I paid for it. It's mine. So I own it. So there's no way that you, as a believer, can be possessed by the devil. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 23 says plainly that we were bought with a price. We are the possession of of Almighty God. So I cannot be possessed by the devil. So when the devil does stuff, whatever stuff he does, in my life or yours, it's not that he's possessing us. It's not that our salvation is in question. It's not even necessarily that our commitment to God is in question. What's happening is the devil is attacking us from without he is trying to get a stronghold somewhere in our flesh, in our body, or in our mind. He can't get in your spirit. He's trying to get there in your flesh, in your body, in your mind somewhere to build a little place where he can live. You remember when, we, when the madman of Gadara, now we're back to this guy was demon-possessed. You remember when Jesus was dealing with those spirits, they were very concerned about where he was going to send them. And they were concerned that he would torment them before the time. Implying, of course, that the devil is well aware that he has a, a limited time to do what he does here. And they were concerned. They didn't want to go out of their country. You know, it's amazing. I mean, when you think about it, the devil is a homebody. When I say the devil, I'm talking about in general demons, evil spirits. They like to camp out in places and just stay there. They said, don't, don't send us out of the country. 
Send us in the pigs. I think it's amazing how a pig, a pig has more sense than some people in this way. The pig would rather be dead as to be full of the devil. And you know the truth is there are people today that if they weren't afraid of going to hell, or if they weren't afraid in some other area of fear that's got them bound, they would rather be dead than to be in the shape they're in. It's very sad that people can get there. This woman in Luke 13 was not there. She wasn't possessed of the devil, but she was oppressed. Two different words, possess, oppress. She was oppressed of the devil, and it was a spirit of infirmity. Amen. Now, I want to say this before I move on. It's not always, as I said earlier, necessary to discern a spirit in order to deal with it or even to cast it out. And it's very interesting. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. We see it in Paul's ministry as well. The same things that uh, will cause demons to leave can also first cause them to manifest. Now, I'll say that again. The same things that will cause demons to leave are the things that also can cause demons to manifest. In, in, um, in, in the account, for instance, of the madman of Gadara, those spirits manifested through that man and spoke through, they used that man's voice to speak. It was the anointing and the authority upon Jesus that stirred them and riled them up, as we'd say. But it was the same authority, listen carefully, and the same anointing that would drive them out. You see, what the devil does when he sees that, because he's a spirit being, and he sees things from the spiritual perspective, and he recognizes faith, and he recognizes the anointing. And when he sees it, he begins to get stirred because he wants to stir and bluff you and cause you to run, cause you to back away, cause you to get afraid. There are times when you have to get in a confrontational mode where the devil is concerned. You can't back away. And you can't play games. And you can't be afraid of if someone's going to misunderstand or if someone's going to get their feelings hurt. Sometimes you just have to deal with the situation. And I have found that when you do that, that the anointing will come upon you even stronger and usually will cause you to speak much more forcefully. I mean, it just kind of, it just kind of rises up within you. And that's the Holy Ghost in you. Rising up to confront the force of evil that, that, that the devil is trying to overcome you or overcome someone else with. And, and it's a powerful, powerful thing. So we, we want to make sure that we're not afraid. And what I want to warn you as a church that is proceeding into a time and a season of breakthrough and revival is that you can know that there will be times when the devil will try to manifest and certain things will happen that have to be dealt with. Don't get offended. Don't, don't worry. Amen. We're going to do what we have to do. But I'm telling you, there is no devil going to derail what God's wanting to do in this place. Hallelujah. And furthermore, there's no devil that should be able to derail what God's trying to do in your life and in your home and in your 
marriage right now. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So we're not told how the devil got in. It, it, it isn't uh, said in any clear terms. But I would say this, and man, alive, I, I'm out of time. Uh, fear is a common opening that's used by the devil. He uses our minds as a doorway into our life. If we don't learn to guard our minds, guard our thinking, guard what we hear, guard what we see, guard even where the people we associate with and are close to, if we don't guard these things diligently, then if we're not careful, we will allow the devil in almost unknowingly. He uses our mind as a doorway into our life if we don't guard our mind, discipline our minds, and if we don't renew our minds to the Word of God. Now, we're not told here, and Jesus didn't say, but I, I know this, that fear is one of the primary ways that the devil moves in. And fear is such a subtle thing because you can get into it and you almost don't know you've done it. You can begin to think about things and meditate on things. And, and the devil will use all kinds of uh, ideas to try to get you in that mode. You know, some of you perhaps here tonight, you, you're well aware at what age your parents died and what they died of. You're well aware maybe of, of afflictions that seem to, as we say, run in the family. And you're aware of these kinds of things. The devil will try his best to use those things to talk you into being another one on that list. He is a liar, sister. You're right. And you've got to know that. Well, you know, but the doctor says this. The, you know, the, you know the, 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 they went you know, here and there. They learned this. They learned that. You know, I'm not saying that they don't know what they know. But they don't know what God is saying, perhaps. And besides that, you may have a physical body. You, obviously, you have a physical body produced by your parents. But you are a spirit being, as a matter of fact, a new creation in Christ. And the life and the nature of God is inside of you. And that life and nature of God will permeate out into your body. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if that spirit dwells in you, will quicken or give life to your mortal body. We're told in 1 John, as he is, so are we in this world. I read it to you earlier from 1 John 4, 17. So thankfully, tonight, we don't have to have whatever our ancestors had or whatever used to run in the family. Here's where it stops. Devil, you'll not do that to me. You'll not give that to me. This is not my life. Uh, uh, my, in other words, my life's not going to be like theirs. I am who the Word says I am. I have what the Word says I have. I can do what the Word says I can do. And it shall be as God has told me. So I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Hallelujah. The temptation to accept sickness Disease and death comes just like other temptations. It's no different than the temptation to commit adultery or fornication. The temptation to 
to steal, the temptation to lie, the temptation to do any other kind of wrong thing. All of it's from the devil. It all comes from the same place. It all comes through the power of mental images and suggestions, thoughts and ideas. And these things, as we learned Sunday from 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, must be cast down. They must not be acted on. We must open our mouth and set up a shield of faith that says, devil, it will not be what you say it will be, but it's going to be like God said it'll be, and we've got to quit talking our fears. We've got to quit planning for them to come to pass, and we've got to start planning to have what the Word says. Can I encourage you tonight to doubt your doubts? They're unreliable. But believe your beliefs, feed your faith, and it'll grow. Choose health, choose life, choose blessing, amen. I want to close tonight in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I would almost apologize for going over, but I don't think I should. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19 says these wonderful words. Moses was talking to the children of Israel right before he left the earth. And he said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. I want to encourage you tonight, choose life. Exercise your authority to choose life. Make a choice. Depend on the anointing that's within you. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what it looks like. And I don't mean, I, when I say I don't care, I don't mean I have no concern for your feelings or anything. But I'm saying no matter what you feel like, no matter what it looks like, know that the anointing of God is inside you. If God is in you, if you're born again, if if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, then there is an anointing that abides within you. That anointing will destroy yokes. That anointing will remove burdens. And you have the authority to apply that anointing and to let it flow in you. Hallelujah. Satan has convinced people to talk uh, sickness and disease and accept what he offers. To talk poverty and accept what he offers. To talk confusion and trouble and, and an unsound mind and all of that. I'm telling you, I am not planning to be without a good mind. I'm not planning to be unable to move. I'm not planning to be broke, busted, disgusted. I'm not planning to be offended. I'm not planning on stopping. I am planning to finish my course and one of these days I will leave but I'm leaving when I'm ready. I'm leaving when I'm satisfied with a long life. Make that your confession. Make that your faith. Hallelujah. Resist fear and resist doubt like you resist any temptation to sin. You are authorized. You are empowered to walk in covenant blessings. Hallelujah. And that's all I got to say. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Sing something.